Welcome to Take Notes, SMB Global Rating's structured finance podcast and the credit events of your day. Tune in as your hosts, Jim Manzi and Tom Shoplocker, explore hot topics across the structured finance and global markets. Hello and welcome to Take Notes. I'm your host, Tom Shoplocker, and today we are going to discuss timeshare ABS and how this asset class is performing in the current economy. Joining me is S&P Global Ratings ABS analyst, Jay Shrivats, who will help us navigate the topic. Welcome to the podcast, Jay. Thanks so much, Tom, for having me. A timeshare loan is an installment sale or mortgage loan with an original term generally ranging from 7 to 10 years. It's secured by a right to use the property or by a deeded interest. Historically, timeshares were sold on a fixed week, fixed unit basis, which gives the timeshare owner the right to use a designated unit in a specified property for a defined period each year in perpetuity. In some cases, timeshares are sold through a points program, whereby purchasers buy points, entitling them to use any of the properties within a developer system at any time. One might think that the pandemic-related strain on the U.S. travel and lodging sector would have been detrimental to the timeshare ABS sector. However, securitization performance has remained stable in 2021, and there have been no rating actions year-to-date. To start off, let's discuss recent industry consolidations. Which entities have been acquired, and by whom? Sure, Tom. So, in the timeshare securitization space, you know, where the developers are concerned, if you take a step back in time, when there's any strain on travel or, um, you know, the lodging sector, that naturally trickles down to some amount of strain in the timeshare sector as well. Post the great financial crisis, we saw a fair bit of consolidation in the industry. So some of the larger players sort of look for other players in the market and they get acquired or merge with each other. So post the pandemic last year, what we did see was, uh, you know, a lot of negotiation and talks between uh, various players in the market. Beginning of this year, some of this finalized and uh, what we saw was um, the first one to be announced was Marriott buying out the Welk system. And then a little later in the year, we saw Hilton buying out Diamond. So if you think about it, um, you know, thankfully for us, both the Marriott and the Welk system, we have transactions outstanding that we rate. So we're very familiar with both systems. And when they merged, typically they, they sort of take a pause uh, in the new issuance while they're consolidating their books and employees and, you know, branding and so on. Um, the same is the case with Hilton and Diamond with both those systems. Both are pretty large systems. And, and both those systems, we have outstanding transactions that we've rated. So we are pretty familiar with both the Diamond system independently and Hilton as well. But post those consolidations, if you look at our total book of business that we rate, it's really the three large play, you know, entities now. You have the Marriott and Welk together. We have the Hilton and Diamond. And then the third large share that we have uh, in our rated book is Travel Plus Leisure, which used to be Wyndham Resorts. So in light of these consolidations, has there been a noticeable impact upon timeshare ABS issuance. So Tom, post these consolidations, I'm sure we're going to see more um, issuance coming in as combined transactions with both collateral in. As of uh, 2021, as of current date, we've rated one Marriott transaction with about 30% of Welk um, timeshare loans in it. That was rated uh, earlier this year. 
And then we also have preliminary ratings um, out on a second Marriott transaction, which also has about 30% wealth originations. To account for the uncertain and weakened U.S. economic and sector outlook, I understand you've adjusted your base case default assumptions. Let's talk about that. At the onset of the pandemic, the macroeconomic factors were really elevated, uh, fairly strained, much more than it was pre-pandemic, as all of us are aware. So across the ABS sector, we kind of looked at where the base cases were. And based on all the macroeconomic factors, uh, we pegged the base case at not at the prior base, but at a slightly elevated uh, 1.25 times the base that was prior. So more like akin to a double B environment than a single B benign environment. Um, So that's sort of what we did on the base just to reflect the uncertainty in the market. Since these new base case default assumptions have been implemented, have you rated any issuances? Sure. So we had about five new issuances that we did last year. Um, There was a little bit of a pause. So the first quarter was kind of quiet um, just at the onset of the pandemic in March. So we were kind of uh, um, coming up with the new assumptions and the stresses. Post that, we had fairly healthy issuance, five transactions last year. We're already uh, past that number now. We have five transactions that we've rated this year. Um, And then we also have preliminary ratings out on one additional transaction, which hasn't closed as yet. As everyone knows, the pandemic rattled the economies globally and, of course, in the U.S. So let's turn to performance. What have been the trends in deferrals, delinquencies, and defaults in timeshare ABS? So, Tom, I'll start off with saying that we completed all our annual reviews, which is like a full deep dive of each single transaction covering all our five rating pillars. We've completed that for the timeshare sector and no ratings were referred to a full committee or a rating change. So, you know, first off, I guess the performance has been really stable on the securitization front and no rating actions have been taken till date. Having said that, you know, as everybody can imagine, if travel is shut, timeshare resorts are running empty, which means that, you know, there's a fair amount of strain on the collections that are going to come in because there will be a fair amount of population that doesn't want to um, pay their uh, timeshare loans while they're already stressed on, uh, you know, to sort of cover for other bare necessities. So we did see at the onset of the pandemic, we did see um, the deferrals going up. So all these transactions pretty much have um, a deferral bucket, which is mostly for force majeure type of deferrals. Most of the developers, most of the issuers in this space also created a non-force majeure deferral bucket to sort of cover for some of these um, pandemic-related deferrals that they were seeing. So typically it was sized, um, you know, close to a 5% mark across the board. What was surprising and interesting to see is that even though delinquencies and deferrals sort of spiked at the end of last summer, they've actually stabilized quite a bit. So right now we're close to the 3% mark on the delinquency, which if you, um, you know, if you look at historical performance is very close to what it was pre-pandemic 2019 and prior. So that's sort of where we are right now on the deferrals and delinquencies. Defaults have been low. None of the transactions have breached their default triggers. Um, the one feature in these transactions, which um, really supports 
the transactions not having to bear a, a bit of the default burden is the repurchasing of defaulted loans. So all of the issuers in our rated book have supported transactions and bought out the defaulted uh, timeshare loans. Um, so in effect, you know, the transactions have uh, performance has been really stable. Earlier on, you'd mentioned that travel has been muted due to the pandemic. But with the ramp up in vaccine production and rollouts gathering pace around the world, the confidence to travel domestically has increased. Has this been reflected in timeshare occupancy levels? Absolutely. So the occupancy levels across all of the timeshare resorts has, um, you know, really risen compared to where it was during the pandemic. There's so much pent up demand for people to travel that the bookings and the occupancy are at really high rates, um, which is pretty close to the pre-pandemic levels. Um, and as the vaccine rollouts continue and children get vaccinated as well, those resorts are going to be um, bursting on the scene. So the one thing that did take a pause was the sales centers and new business coming in. So as occupancy and booking go, go up, we'll also start seeing a high healthy volume of um, you know, resort point of sale. Finally, what's the outlook for 2022 in the timeshare ABS sector? So our outlook on the timeshare developers in the near to medium term is stable to positive. Two of the large developers that you know we have transactions on the securitization side, the outlook is stable and one is actually positive. Um, following on from that, when we look at um, the securitization book, our outlook is stable to positive in the near term. So positive outlooks, but in the sector in general, lodging has been struggling of late. So how does this tie out? So that's mostly, um, you know, you, you are right that the lodging um, sector is a bit strained, but that's more on the hotel side. On the timeshare side, what we've seen is with so much pent up demand for travel and vacations, people are really looking to get out and take their vacations, which they couldn't do last, uh, you know, all of last summer. So occupancy and bookings are really peaking right now. So as the holidays roll around, um, you know, we expect to see healthy usage of the resorts and that will lead to more of a stable outlook on the timeshare sector. I'd like to thank our guest, Jay Shrivats. Her new paper, U.S. Timeshare Securitization Performance is Stable in 2021, is available on our website, www.spglobal.com forward slash ratings. We'll catch you next time on Take Notes. To subscribe to Take Notes or to view our analyst research, go to spglobal.com forward slash ratings. Thank you for listening to Take Notes with Jim Manzi and Tom Schopflocker.